All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fucksicles? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. The what the fucksicles was for the winter weather. I'm Mark Marin. Welcome to my show. This is my podcast. This is WTF, the podcast. Did I say that twice? It's a podcast. Hope you're having a good day wherever you are. My guest today is voiceover artist extraordinaire uh, Billy West. For those of you who uh, were brought up on Ren and Stimpy, he was both of them for a time. Uh, so that that's exciting. It was exciting to talk to him. I knew him from back in the day in Boston. So that's that's who's on in a little bit. Also, I want to apologize uh, to the uh, denizens. Is that the right word? To the people of Manchester, Massachusetts, because in my conversation with Casey Affleck, I referred to Manchester by the sea as Manchester, New Hampshire. And God damn it. I am sorry. Okay, that's all I can say. There is a Manchester, New Hampshire, and I've been there. I'm not sure I've been to Manchester, Massachusetts, but I know it exists, and I know I fucked up. All right, there, that's out of the way. Good, okay. I do want to mention, because a lot of people ask me about my my last special, More Later, which I did for Epics, and a lot of people didn't see it, but I'd like you to see it, so it's now available on iTunes. If you just look up Mark Marin More Later, you should be able to grab one of those. Uh, I worked hard on it. You can, I think you can still see it at Epics, uh, but uh, but go get that. Also, Mark Marin related, the big uh, two-reel tour that I had to postpone a bit of is uh, going to be in action starting January 24th, kind of. Uh, I'll be at the uh, Ruby Diamond Concert Hall in Tallahassee, but after that, I'll be heading to uh, Durham, North Carolina, Charlotte, North Carolina, Ridgefield, Connecticut, Portsmouth, New Hampshire, Montreal, Toronto, New Haven, Troy, New York, Burlington, Oakland, Seattle, Vancouver, Austin, Boulder, Denver, Portland, Oregon, uh, Milwaukee, Madison, Minneapolis, Philadelphia, Washington, D.C. Throughout the spring, you can go to uh, wtfpod.com slash tour and uh, get 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 hooked up with some tickets. Oh, my God, what is happening? I had to go to the doctor. I was um, having trouble breathing, getting the deep breath. You know, that feeling when you're like, Oh, it's just not satisfying. It's not getting all the way in there. What's going on? And I'm at an age, 53, where, you know, peers drop dead or have heart attacks. And I talked to Dana Carvey about his heart. And, you know, I, I've certainly experienced panic-ridden, anxiety-induced uh, chest compression before. But I was having a little shooting pains, a little this and a little that. And also, I know that because of my role in the upcoming uh, Netflix show, Glow, that I've been smoking a lot of fake cigarettes, which are nonetheless cigarettes of some sort. I don't even know what the fuck is in them. Here's the weird thing. They're herbal cigarettes. Okay, good. You can't get uh, tobacco. You can't get nicotine, which I'm getting from my lozenges anyways too much. But uh, you're smoking something, you're breathing hot shit into your lungs, burning the little tissues, you know, making the little cilia cringe and get pasted up against your passages. But I don't know what's in them. I don't know why. We take everything for fucking granted. I just sort of like, I, I don't know why the brain works like that. But now we've all had to put some special filters on to sort of protect us from bullshit at every turn. Hearsay and bullshit. Clickbait and, and bullshit memes and bullshit i just there's just has to be a little filter 
but I, I I realize that it affects my whole life. I'm just smoking these things. Uh, they're herbal. What just I'm just burning leaves, sucking them into my lungs. I mean, there's a broader point about not knowing things and taking things for granted, obviously, or else just believing bullshit in general. But nonetheless, my my lungs were irritated, and I went in there, and of course, I I went to my my insurance, my health carrier, my clinic, the Bob Hope Clinic, which you know its namesake does not instill confidence, but but it's good. It's a great. Uh, I have a great health co- coverage, and I'm lucky and fortunate. So I go see the doctor. They do the the blood pressure. They do the pulse. They do an EKG. Everything looks good. I breathe a bit. Uh, they do the stethoscope. It's fine. And then the next day, I go back. I get chest X-rays. I'm panicky. I smoked for what shit. 25 years so i don't know when that's going to kick me in the ass or the balls or the lungs or the pancreas whatever but i you know i'm prone to panic and when i can't breathe it makes me panic more and i got the chest x-rays they come back clean so what's that tell you that tells me that in this time of panic for the some of us where we uh feel like there's somewhat of a cultural and political free fall going on i wanted a little reassurance you know i've been enjoying the every sandwich but i i would like a a little bit of like just something in the life to go like yeah you're okay so i of course gravitate to uh the the medical arts because my old man was a medicine man and uh when there was an emotional stoppage which was usually or i couldn't get his attention which was always uh if i had some sort of uh uh, suspected medical issue I got a lot of attention and focus so I sometimes think uh, occasionally I'll go to the doctor just to to on some level in the uh, in the the psycho-emotional sphere to have my dad say everything's okay so everything's okay but then I, I wondered in terms of being out here in Los Angeles and being in show business and going to the clinic that services us you know that the these symptoms that I had which were specifically could be attached to anxiety i i don't know why one of the questions when they were looking at my chart was uh how do you feel about the election i i think i might have had a a trump related breathing disorder and uh if that's what it is i i'm I'm glad i've identified it and i'm over it and i got the reassurance i wanted but i'm still in a free fall of panic but i but something is weird you know something uh is weirder than just what's already weird and disturbing is that um I'm, I'm losing faith in the shadow government. The shadow government. What's up? What is up, shadow government? You know, I'm no stranger to the conspiracy theory. I know that is uh, something that gets attached to the other side these days. But uh, those of us on the left side of things have a, a nice long history of uh, beautiful conspiratorial thinking, wide-ranging. You know, I think the, the pivotal one, which I don't think is partisan, uh, is the uh, the JFK conspiracy. I was never one of those, but I certainly have dipped into the uh, Illuminati New World Order conspiracy at different junctures in my life. I'll, I'll go ahead and let my brain run with that bullshit because, uh, you know, when, in a pinch where things get confusing and you have no God in place, why not get mystical and paranoid? Why not do that and just attach it to signs and symbols that surround us on a day-to-day basis? Perhaps someone's name, perhaps the logo, maybe even uh, some event in the news that seems to have happened nearby something that was connected to something else in your strange fucking head. Why not do that? But the one thing I can tell you for sure, and I think that has always played in to the, uh, to the big conspiracy uh, umbrella, is, of course, 
the CIA, the Central Intelligence Agency. God knows they were involved in, you know, many coups, secret foreign uh, adventures and overthrows. I always believed there was a shadow government, that there was somebody pulling the strings, whether it was through the intelligence agencies or through the global um, business network, the uh, the New World Order, as, uh, as Cousin Alex calls it. And then, you know, you have uh, the Illuminati, which is a little bit more of a ornate and elaborate set of symbols. But uh, there was an interconnectivity towards the you know kind of movement towards the totalitarian possibilities of a one world government and whatnot I've, I've i've thrown my head in that direction i've skipped that rock on that pond you know thankfully i've kerplunked out enough to realize that uh, you know what's for lunch but here's my point is that one of the things that this trump president elect is doing by being who he is He called out the CIA in public, in front of the world. And the CIA did what? Nothing yet. But I got to tell you, being a, you know, an old lefty conspiracy theorist and not even as old as the original ones and not even as committed in any way, but the shadow government, the CIA, he called them out. So in my mind, if he's not taken out or something dreadful doesn't happen to him, then that's about 50 years of hippie thinking that's just out the fucking window. And all we got is like, oh, the CIA, I guess just, that's just people who work in an office building. Just out the window. I just took you down a fucking portal. That's all, all right? So before I bring on Billy West... Oh, real nice little email. Subject line, Pink Floyd in New Mexico. Mark, I've been meaning to tell you this for a few weeks now. I was in New Mexico at the beginning of November teaching a photography workshop in Santa Fe. When the workshop was over, I was very excited and jazzed up about all things creative. My students took the ideas I presented them and ran with them. At the end of the class, one student told me, now I have a lot to think about. Doesn't get any better than that. Plus, I love New Mexico. My wife and I have been going out there at least once a year for a decade now. After the workshop, I booked a few days to myself so I could photograph. The night before I left Santa Fe, I was listening to your interview with Roger Waters. Who's not a big fan of Pink Floyd? What got me was at the end when you talked about getting messed up with a friend and driving Route 14, the turquoise trail between Santa Fe and Albuquerque. That night, I loaded up my iPhone with Pink Floyd, Pipers at the Gates of Dawn, a saucer full of secrets, wish you were here, animals in the wall. I spent the next two days driving around New Mexico in a Dodge something or other with my 1949 speed graphic camera and no agenda. I just roamed, photographed, and listened to Floyd. It was the most relaxed in my own head in a good way I've been in years it was a great way to end a great trip big fan Rob glad to inspire Rob glad to inspire all right my my, my guest today is Billy West and he's a an amazing voiceover actor uh, he was on WBCM back when I was in Boston I remember him from then and we've I've sort of known him on the periphery for a long time voiceover is a very unique thing and now you get to meet one of the fellas who does a lot of the voices they're interesting people. All right, this is me and Billy West. He also has a a, a podcast. Um, you can go check it out at billywestpodcast.com or anywhere you get podcasts. This is me and Billy West. All 
This direct recollection I have is that I got to Boston in 19... I got back... I went to college there. I know. I left, right, I left in 87, and then I went back in like 88. By the t- I think you were just leaving by the time I got to Boston, and I met you a couple times. I remember that... I, it's, I'm sometimes confusing memories of, of you and a comic uh, I, I knew, but you, you, used to, you were sweaty, and you... <laughs> Well, because I was high as a rat. I was on coke for right. a long time. Exactly. And uh, did you wear a hat a lot? Yes, I did. <laughs> and I was nothing but trouble. Right. You were 180 were... pounds of trouble. And yeah, you were kind of a, a, a bastard, right? Yes. Yeah. And I, I knew that. Because <laughs> <laughs> you were part it's... of the BCN thing. Yes, but I can see it in my mind. And I have this, like, there's a governor on my laugh, but I should be laughing my balls off because I survived. Right. But you started out like because you were a radio guy and you were with Lockwoodera and and then you, but it was after the it was uh, the big mattress show right yes and then but Dwayne Ingalls Glanzcock was a different thing right yes it was sort of it was under the same roof right it was Charles's alter ego Dwayne Ingalls Glasscock. yeah and he was the morning guy in in the New England area in Boston for years right. Charles was sort of, I think, I felt like he was phasing out, like the heyday had gone. But let's track it back. So you're born in Detroit, Motor City. You remember it. Yes. What did your old man do? Oh, boy. Well, you know, there's a difference between a job and a career. Yeah. He went from job to job to job. Yeah. And it was like delivering soda pop for, oh, yeah. for Canada Dry. Mm-hmm. And uh, <clears throat> it was my eighth birthday. Yeah. And we used to get cases of Canada Dry right. at the house. Yeah. And uh, I took all the flavors and poured them in a punch bowl. It's like, who couldn't figure that out? I don't have a beautiful mind, you yeah. know? I mean, I, I just figured it out. Yeah. And uh, everybody raved over it. Wow, it was a carbonated punch, yeah. which didn't exist. Come on. There was only Hawaiian punch. Are you about to tell me you invented carbonated punch? Hold on. <laughs> Wait for it. I know, you're sitting there, what, pray tell, divulge? <laughs> uh, no, I, you know, my mom said, to my father, Bill, take this and bring it to your boss. And I, and he was like, oh, I don't know. And she said, go on in, tell him what your son did. So so he brings it in and it's like the typical, you know, yeah. uh, Mr. Smith goes to Washington sort of, I don't know how, yeah. how assertive I should be. And uh, he says to his boss, you know, my son, he's, uh, he's eight years old and we had a party and we used all the flavors that we make that actually exist. Uh-huh. And, and he said, but he put them all together in a punch bowl and that's all, Bill. But, you know, you should say, that's all, Bill. And he walked out. And then the next thing you know, they came out with a carbonated punch. And we, me and my mom invented names like uh, Hawaiian Dry, and we finally came up with Tahitian Treat. Yeah. And bang, it was really? their biggest seller. Come on. Yeah, forever. And have you been credited? Uh, well, you know what that's like. <laughs> <laughs> Canada Dry, the, uh, the, the, the top dogs didn't give you the, the, the credit you deserved. You no, did. this was 1950. I don't know, seven, yeah, eight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, those, they, they were, just those were cold, dark days, yeah. man. They'll just take it from a kid. Take a kid's idea and not give them the... Dad, am I going to get anything <laughs> from this? Um, You know what? I changed jobs. I work for the home tea company now. <laughs> That's where he went next? Yeah. What shall I invent next? <laughs> <laughs> That's, but I'll tell you, I was a, a weird kid like that. Yeah, I think you're still a weird kid. Well, yeah, I am. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> but you used to invent shit? <clears throat> well, yeah, I was always looking to invent stuff. Like, yeah. uh, you know, I loved Rube Goldberg. Yeah. Who built these crazy-ass inventions that one thing would trigger yeah, the there's other. There's a wheel and a bird. By yeah. leverage and gravity yeah. and, uh, what do they call it, Ver velocity. Yeah, yeah. All those things. And I didn't know that I was un trying to understand physics. Yeah. But physics is really interesting. Did you study physics? Nope. Yeah, but, it is interesting. But I understood some stuff when I read it. Yeah. But then I, I watched The Three Stooges every morning before yeah. I went to school. Yeah. Yeah, I stopped going to church. I found my saints. You yeah, know? yeah, sure. And so um, Mo, Mo put out the best explanation of um, E equals MC squared when yeah. he said, we ain't getting no place fast. <laughs> That's it. That put it all together for you? It did. Yeah. I said, oh. <laughs> I get it now. I understand Einstein. Thanks, Mo. Yeah. But you, so you're you're in Detroit, and your dad's doing all these other jobs. Yep. And, uh, and then you end up in New England. How did that happen? Well, my dad was certifiable. He was a drunk and a crazy, and he was very oh, yeah. abusive. I was the whipping boy. How many kids? Uh, three boys. Yeah. And, uh, and you got it? Oh, did I ever. Every day. It really? was a way of life, yeah. Dickens what? wishes that he had the kind of childhood, you know. <laughs> really? Or I wish I had his childhood. Physical abuse? Well, yeah. Yeah. Just beat the shit out of you? Yeah, all the time. Because it was a kick at the cat, yeah. yeah. He was kidding. angry. He had secrets. Yeah. He's drunk? Drunk. Oh, man. And so um, that's kind of what I grew up with. So I grew up hypervigilant. Hypervigilant, and I imagine uh, you know, looking for uh, an out, looking for a world that did not exist anywhere right. near me. Right. So you could visualize them. Yeah. Yeah. I remember we had this old. Do you remember the the ancient Plymouth DeSoto car? Yeah. It's a big, big chunky, funky old car, and back in those days, right, be, right in back of the back seat, there was a ledge. Yeah. And then there was this curved glass, and a kid could fit it up there. Yeah. So we'd be driving along at night, and I would crawl up there, and I'd lay down on that ledge and look straight up through the curved glass, and all the lights were... It was like going through a black hole. Yeah. Except I really didn't know, but I said, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life, because it was like I was in a glass enclosure. Yeah. And looking at these lights smashing into each other, and um, hard to explain that stuff. But but I imagine like being in an, an you were the oldest or no oldest oh so oh god so there was just that never ending competition with you and the old man of um, some kind in his mind I'm gonna tell you a secret yeah <laughs> um, I took my first beating in utero really yeah Jesus. my my mom came home one day she was 20 yeah and she said to him uh, you know guess what honey I'm pregnant yeah and he was smashed yeah and he got up. And he started beating the crap out of her in the kitchen, and he kicked her in the stomach. You know, this guy did not want me to be born. Yeah. Because it was grow-up time. Right. He was one of those guys that never stopped being 18. Right. Yeah. He was. How old was he when he when they when you were born? Uh, maybe 24. Fucking or five. kid. Could you imagine that? I mean, do you have kids? Uh, no, I don't. Yeah, I don't either. But like, you know, when you see a 20 year old, like my mo my mom was 22. I see a 22 year old. It's like what? How you haven't like they had? They were kids. Yeah, you're still eating Twizzlers. Yeah, and <laughs> Jolly Ranchers. <laughs> well, do you think that that you know that the like I don't know when you started you know finding the talent to to find these other voices, but it, do you, do you connect it to your need to escape from the the abuse? Nothing but 
I would I was a loner. Yeah. Because if I try to do stuff that I thought my peer group, the other kids, you know, I was like in the middle. Yeah. I would be either king of the little kids. Yeah. Or or hang along with the big kids. Right. And there was really nobody my age. Yeah. So I I was kind of like odd man out. Right. And I would go for walks and I would narrate. Yeah. What I was doing. Yeah. Yeah, and it, I. To the other kids, yeah, an audience. Yeah, and yeah. I and I tried to explain why, and I didn't even know why. Right. You know, because you were like having a disassociation. Yeah, because yeah. I'd be, you know, I'd take up in progress with them, and I go, as you remember, you yeah, know, right. only in like a kid voice. Sure, sure. And uh, and me and my cousin used to play. We'd put up uh, like the cam- his dad was a photographer, so we put up cameras like they were movie cameras. Yeah. And I I have a picture of me and him, and he's adjusting a camera, and I'm holding a script. Yeah. But I don't think I don't think that's what I meant. Yeah. But it sure looks like the future. You know how the future <laughs> yeah. stares you in the face sure. every single day. You just don't know what it is. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I mean anything. Yeah, your brothers are still around. We lost my middle brother. Yeah. Yeah, the three of us uh, became alcoholics. All of you. And my mother was not. She kept away from all that stuff. But here it was. Yeah. You know, growing yeah. around her, and I feel horrible that that turned out that way. It's like you know, I think of the three stooges. I go, you know, like Steve Sweeney, the comedian. He used to go, sure. poor Mrs. Stooge. <laughs> <laughs> So you moved with your with your whole family to. to my mom left. <clears throat> excuse me. My mom left Detroit to get away from my dad, and she brought the three of us to Boston. You know, did, and did I that went work? to elementary school there. Did that work? Well, you know what it is is like you spend your whole life trying to do battle with the guy you swore you'd never be. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Did he ever come back around? No, he was gone a few years. Uh, he was gone about a decade after that. Yeah? Yeah. After she split? Oh, he died? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Pancreatitis. You know, he just did himself in. He didn't, really? He didn't want responsibility because he knew that it would go down the drain. And when did you start playing music? Um, Well, I had a trumpet when I was 10 in Detroit. Yeah. So I could play, and I played with other kids. Mm-hmm. Knew a few notes. Yeah. I could hold a note longer than the teacher. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, that was the little contest. If anybody in here thinks that they can... um. <laughs> You know, holding out longer than me. Um, have at it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I'd be up there, and he would hold a note. He played clarinet, and he would hold it and hold it and hold it, and I thought, that's nothing. Yeah. You know, because I was a swimmer at the time. Yeah. I mean, not a professional, but I was. A, I loved swimming, and I could hold my breath like a like a whale. Yeah. And uh, I get up there, and I'm like. You know, and he was like going, like trying to get me to stop, and it was going into a minute. Yeah, yeah, because I was born with this this weird chest, huge chest for somebody my size, and, yeah. and a big uh, inner cavern. Yeah. And, or and you need that for voices too, kind of, don't you? Um, <clears throat> I don't know if you do. It's the only thing I ever could judge anything else by. <laughs> so, so, but when did you start doing the band thing? When you like the you, band you, you thing. were were you in Boston? Yeah, sixties. Yeah, so like, you know, Boston's pretty heavy, man. Yeah, I, I started mean, playing guitar in 61 in Detroit because we had an old Stella down yeah, in the basement. Sure. And I would plunk on it and stuff. Didn't really grab me because I could draw. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be an artist. You were just a creative guy in general. I was I was screaming some way to find a way to express myself. Yeah. Right, yeah. And so, um, so you thought and my dad was an artist. He was? He was one of those guys that would 
torment me. You know what I mean? Yeah. He started out as Mozart to me, and then he just became Salieri, you know, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. long after he was dead. Yeah. But he could sit down at the piano and not know what he was doing and start playing. Really? He Get could, a talented guy, gifted he was, guy. He was a draftsman. He went to uh, Cast Tech, mm -hmm. which was a, a mechanical drawing, you yeah. know, all that stuff. Yeah. And uh, he could draw. Yeah. And I tried to impress him. And so I grew up thinking everything I did was nothing or no big deal. Oh, it's so sad, man. I mean, you know, it's like, you know, that weird competitiveness between, you know, uh, emotionally fucked up fathers and their sons is the worst. Yeah. They just annihilate your ability to develop a sense of self. Yeah, it's an Irish-German thing or something. I it's, don't know. It's just a narcissistic fuckhead thing. Well, yeah, but I didn't learn those words till later. <laughs> but I knew something about Germans, and I knew something about Irish. Yeah. Where were you located when you got to Boston? Um, Roslindale, Massachusetts. Yeah. So you weren't in, like, Southie or nothing? You weren't in... Uh, no, you know. but I used to go down there. We used to go to... Uh, we used to go to Carson Beach and City Point. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I remember... Um, this was when I was getting ready to start playing music. I couldn't wait to graduate school. Yeah, I high never, school. I never had any use for academia. I have to tell you honestly. Yeah. I'd go to school every day with a head full of fantasy and, and made up, I don't know, entities. Yeah. You know, and I could hear them. I could hear how they went. And that's really how I started doing, you know, voices. Yeah. I was just... I would tourette out noises and voices, you know, and it was just an urge. Did you have friends? Um, I had about one and a half friends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you're an oddball. Yeah. Didn't fit in. But there's also somebody across town. In those days, it had to be somebody far yeah. away from you. And I would find whoever it was who had comic books. You're a comic book guy. I was like a homing pigeon. Yeah. Yeah. There's someone in this area <laughs> That's comic that book. has comic books. <laughs> And uh, and this is like them. the '60s, yeah. So these early were the, '60s. So these were the 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 uh, the the basics, the comics. Like what were the what were the comics that you had to have? Well, I had the uh, issue where the Flash meets the India Rubber Man, mm -hmm. or was it? I forget. Yeah, the Elongated Man. Yeah, wasn't he the enemy of the? I, you're asking the wrong guy, but I'll go with you on it. Well, what happened is like he went to a carnival and he sees this old swami drinking something called gin gold. Yeah. Or gingold. Yeah. And it was that's what the guy said. That's his secret. That's how he gets in those rubbery like that. And so the guy yeah. created a hybrid of gingold. Yeah. And yeah. uh what are these? DC comics. Uh-huh. You know, the plots, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sure. But but it's still fascinated me because this guy could stretch and he was all over the flash yeah yeah he was oh, he like, wrapped him yeah, yeah 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 or his arm would go up and wasn't there a good guy that could do that mr stretch wasn't there like a a, a good one mr fantastic yeah he could stretch right yeah yeah that's in the ego somebody <laughs> calling themselves mr fantastic <laughs> lucky he was just a comic book guy yeah really <laughs> and now it's all postmodern art yeah you know, cartoon. I mean, a comic book can sell for upwards of nine hundred bucks sometimes. Did you save any? No, <laughs> no, because we had to jettison a lot of stuff just to get out of the house in Detroit, and yeah. get on a plane and go to Boston. My mom started shipping stuff luckily. to her family. Yes, yeah, and this was all done on the sneak. But I got to tell you something. I'm not irreligious, but I just I'm. Uh, I 
I believe in a higher power. Sure. I believe in a force that makes nothing but sense to me. Right. It's poor. It's pure physics. If right. you put out a certain kind of energy, yep. it, other energy like it will find it because like energy attracts. Yeah. If you put out like this pissy, moany, piss cloud, yeah. all energy like that is going to come shooting for you like a javelin. Right. And And I didn't understand that stuff till later on. Yeah, I believe that. I think that's a good way to do it. But um, good way to frame it. But I believe that the higher power was just like the force of the world and our relationship to the universe. Yeah, and that somebody hears me. Yeah, something so you conceived of that later. <clears throat> What's that? That's what you pulled together later when yeah. you needed to. Do you had that when you were a kid or no? Um, no, yeah. I had religion shoved down my throat. Catholic? Yeah, Irish Catholic. Yeah. So I know. I used to know more about religion than most people. Yeah. We, we knew the mass was in Latin then. Yeah. So that you couldn't figure out what they were talking yeah. about. Keep it coded. Yes. Keep it weird. Angus Day, Quitolus Peccata Mundi, Miserere Nobis. What's he saying, Mom? <laughs> that doesn't matter. Yeah. Paternoster quies and Chile Sanctificevron you know. So you believed that you, you were afraid of hell. I was afraid of hell. Yeah. Yeah. And and like a kid takes it on face value because these are adults. Yeah. That's how you think when you're a kid. Yeah. I wasn't delinquent. Right. I just took all this stuff under consideration. Yeah. And my leanings were stuff that had nothing to do with God. Yeah. And I don't mean like bad stuff. Right. Or criminal stuff. Right. It's just that um, I was interested in creating characters and I wanted to play music so bad. So you, when did you start playing guitar? 61. Yeah, and then you started a band? Um, by 66, when I moved to Boston. The actual city? Yes. Yeah. And um, I found a kid who was my friend, and he yeah. was kind of a drummer, but we used to sit and play together, and I played guitar. Yeah. What little I could play. Yeah. And uh, I realized, geez, this is for me, because you could go downtown Yeah. Uh, to this place, Mod Clothes. Yeah. Carnaby Street. Right. Only in Boston. Right. In the combat zone. Right. Yeah, where sure. the strip clubs were. Yeah, and, down by Nick's. Yeah, and it was like, ooh, I felt weird like even being in that area, but it yeah. was adventurous, you know? I'm going to go buy some, the coolest clothes in the world. Yeah, try bringing them back to Rosalindale and putting them on someday. <laughs> <laughs> I was in school, and I had flowers all over my shirt with white cuffs and white collar. You yeah. can just picture sure. this. And some kid goes, hey, your flowers need watering. <laughs> <laughs> really i'm seriously but it was all that kind of stuff like i couldn't figure out why people would have this instant like fear that turned into anger yeah yeah no one ever tells you back then that if you're able to do something cool and you can't wait to share it with others you'll get no props you'll get bullied you'll get nothing yeah I, and so i figured whatever i did just is not making it you right. Know, I figured I have to be so much better than this for them to respond. Or at least, you, at least it's good that you didn't feel like you had to be more like them, whatever that was. I I never went that way. Yeah. I mean, it was it was at the risk of being alone. Yeah. Or finding some other kid with peripheral interests, but that's kind of the way it always was. Yeah. I think it might be different now. Yeah. That we live in a media entertainment. Sure. You can kind of find your people. You easier. can find them a lot easier. Yeah. And plus, you had no way to get to another town yeah that was unthinkable oh yeah you gotta take a bus you gotta get someone else to drive you you gotta it's, it's, if you had permission yeah right 
So what? So what? You, so so I did, started playing. Yeah. And um, I met this guy, and we started playing music, and uh, I started meeting other kids. They were very few and far between, but they were already in bands, and I would go hang around them. Sure. Just to see how it's done. Yeah. And I I had what it took at the time. You know, I could play, and I became like this little guitar gunslinger eventually. Yeah. Yeah. And um and I could sing. But we were always doing cover songs. Uh-huh. So when the audience the, time- the kids at the dance are applauding for you, they're applauding for the Rolling Stones. Right. So when does the booze start? The booze started in seventy two. Seventy one or seventy two. Like you're twenty one, twenty two? Yeah. And I was like I was a model boy. Yeah, you know, I kept my drawers straightened with the clothes in them and everything, and I I was tidy, and it was like a Boy Scout sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And then at twenty one, I went be fucking zerker, yeah, having my childhood that I never had. Yeah, that's you know, I figured that out as I never really had a child. I was like a, I mean, childhood. I was a an old kid. Yeah. Who had to take care of the full grown adults sometimes? Yeah, falling asleep. And your brothers and, too. Yeah, my brothers. I was man of the house at 10. When did you get the gig on radio? What, how did that sort of happen? Oh, um, the band days were coming to a close. Was it late 70s? Yeah, because I was incorrigible. Nobody, Drunk? Nobody wanted to take me home. Nobody wanted to pick me up. Were you doing blow at that point? Yes, and drinking. Yeah. Yeah, it was horrifying. Those were the things. Those were the things. And, and I once I found blow, I said, this is great. I don't have to drink anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Famous last words. Yeah. Just makes you drink more. Yeah, I felt this is a classy high, and uh, and then an hour or two later, you're looking at people. How do I look <laughs> with your teeth gritted and this Ren Hoek, Ren and Stimpy face? You know, How do I look? Does anything show? Am I clean? Is my nose clean? Yeah, and then you're sitting at a party and everybody runs out of shit to say at the same time because the coke is wearing off and they all look like. You know that picture of um, Al Pacino sitting in the yeah, chair sure. in the Godfather, yeah. sort of looking down like this this pissed off little crow. Yeah, that's what we looked like. And I'd see a crumb on the floor. I'm gonna snort that. And I would be searching the floor, and everybody, all these civilized young adults, yeah. would be searching the floor for and rocks. We, yeah, and you look up, and it's a plaster ceiling that has that yeah. surface the popcorn on it. surface. Yeah, so stuff had fallen. And in Boston, though, like, you know, you're all jacked up and you're hanging around with those, you know, borderline criminals and drug dealers and yeah. they're all those sort of Boston dudes. It's, yeah. It's a little scary. It was scary because um, when I got into that, um, I would just spend whatever money I had yeah. on that and I'd always owe somebody money. Right. You know, I'd wake up the next morning and they'd say, yeah. you know, and I'd reach into my pocket and there was these crumpled up pieces of paper. Yeah. Not the snow seals that the blow came in. Snow seals. Coke, but... Uh, no, it's like, you know, call this number, call Jeff, you know, you owe him $300. Right. I promised somebody that. You know, yeah, cause the guy in, with the blow. Because you're in your right mind sure. the next day. And right. you realize he's going to come down. Yeah. Because you willingly tell him yeah. where you live just to get it. Yeah. Yeah. And then yeah. all of a sudden you got Whitey <laughs> Bulger's guys coming over. Yeah, really. So um, <laughs> the group that I was doing blow with, we got sick of bad blow. Yeah. You know, it was like, oh, yeah. it tastes like... Baby powder yeah. or laxative yeah. or uh, the whole Peruvian mar- army yeah. marched through it. Yeah. So um, Pancake batter. And so somebody says, why don't we go where they make the shit? 
now you've said something. Yeah. I was like, yes. So we put together our dough. We get on a plane. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah, to go from Boston to Lima, Peru. Five, five chowder heads. Yeah. You know, thinking that they're going on a drug vacation. And we get down there. I was a mess. Peru, not Bolivia. No, Peru. Why? How'd you decide that? Because that's the home of the winking white stuff. It is? Yes. All right. Yeah, well, I mean, it was big. Yeah. And that's kind of what you knew about right. Peru. Yeah, so you go down there. We go down there, we're on our way, and I'm so drunk on the plane, some guy turns around and goes, hey, you think you might want to see your way clear to being quiet for a while? And I took that as a, a sucker punch. Yeah. I started beating his seat with my two feet. You know, I was like, bam, 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 bam. Yeah. And they were going to stop in Orlando yeah. to get me out. But for some reason, they didn't do it in those days. Yeah. You know, they figured they could, like, come by and say, please, sir, please. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we get down to Peru. We have our hotel. We get there. And uh, everybody is, like, you know, pretty friendly. Mm-hmm. I had been drinking. Yeah. And... um we started having this adventure. Yeah. Separately. Yeah. Everybody was off on their own little adventure. I met a couple of girls, yeah. Peruvian girls. One's name was Doris. Doris. Yeah. And um and I would be talking to them and in my mind I thought they could understand me. Right. And it was weird because I had lunch with this two Peruvian girls and a guy from another country. And I'm explaining my stories to these people, and I'm acting them out, you know, and it yeah. was like charades. Yeah. Um, but it was, but it was crazy. I mean, I thought they understood. Did they? Did you find the blow? Well, eventually, um, we ran into a guy. He worked like at the hotel. Yeah. Or he was a cab driver. Yeah. And he said, you know, he pointed to his nose, and I said. Glad to see you. You know, like Bilko. Yeah. Glad to see you. Don't kick the tires. <laughs> and uh, so I so I go with him. This yeah. is this is the guy. This is my man. And then later the girls told me, no, 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 no. Policia. You know, so he had been monitoring us. Plus he was getting stuff. So I was like confused. Yeah. And getting what, blow? Yeah. Yeah. So I was, was getting- Was it better? Yeah. Yeah. It was like- Ninety-five percent pure. Yeah, it was eleven dollars a gram. Yeah, this is just drug talk for. Those were the days. Yeah, you know yeah. anybody listening. Yeah. Um, so I, I had my room and I laid in there and I was ordering cervezas and cervezas and room service and uh, you know I'd lock the door. There was a bolt and a chain and there was a little glass hole yeah. so you could see, and. Uh, one night I drank myself almost into paralysis because I got a quaalude yeah. from somebody, but it was bathtub quaaludes. Yeah. In other words, you could take one, yeah. nothing. Yeah. You could take another one, nothing, and the full Lollapalooza would be in the third one. Yeah. So I get on the third one, and all of a sudden I was like narcolepsy. I was paralyzed lying in the bed. Yeah. Still trying to reach for a cerveza and everything. Yeah. And um, earlier that day, I was out walking around town and I went into a little crafts booth. Yeah. And these people were nice and I was like the fucking, you know, bad news. Yeah. Yeah. And I go in and I go, you know, what do you got? You know, speaking too loud and messy and sloppy. And I said, you got any guitars? And the guy shows me a guitar, a guitar. 
and uh, I'm looking at it, and I go, this neck is as crooked as a ram's horn. How much you want for this? And he told me, I said, this is a piece of shit. And I was being so insulting. I can, I can barely remember, but I do remember, like, the, the main little things. Is, I, I'm lucky I didn't get shot to death. Yeah. So somehow I passed out in that store, but I was standing up. Yeah. And the next thing you know, they threw me in a vat of unmixed orange paint. What? Yeah, I was covered with orange uh-huh. pigment. Yeah. Hands, shoes, legs, yeah. hair. Yeah. And I guess I got out of there, but I don't remember it, and walked back to the hotel. Orange. Yeah, fully orange, long before Trump. <laughs> and uh, full frontal orange. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I woke up standing on my feet in front of the hotel with orange all over me. And that's when I went back up to my room and took the quaaludes. Right. And then ordered cervezas. And yeah. Bolted the door. I was paranoid. I was belligerent. I, you know, because I'm working both ends. Yeah, yeah. You know, and where are your friends? And the blow. They were off on their own adventures. So I, I get up and I see someone standing at my door yeah. in the light crack. Mm-hmm. And the door was locked by that time, double locked. And I said, who is this? And I found out, I knew already that they had a house detective. Yeah. And I says, this stupid dick thinks he's going to bust me and, you know, he'd be like the crime buster of the year down yeah. there. And I'm going, that motherfucker. And I said, I'll just wait him out. Yeah. Didn't move. He's still like looking through that thing, trying to see me. Maybe he has a reverse yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, where he can see in somehow. Yeah. And uh, I was like, I, I was getting angry. I said, this motherfucker, he won't leave. It's been like three hours. Right. He's standing there. So... I creep across the floor. It took me like 20 minutes to go from the bed right. to the door so I could not make a sound. I was totally paranoid. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, what do I got to do? I got to get a better look at him. So I go up to the, the door and I stand on my head and I'm looking underneath the crack just yeah. to see if I can get some more information. Can you imagine a full-grown man? Yeah, just out of his yeah. mind. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Like you, Trump now. Yeah. <laughs> What'd you find? What'd you find? No, out? so I I said, this motherfucker, I got to like get rid of this guy or he's going to take care of me. Yeah. So um, so I undid the lock. That took me like 15 minutes. Yeah. And the other one slowly, quietly took me about 10. Yeah. I mean, this is all in slow-mo because yeah. I didn't want to give this guy a clue. Yeah. But there he is. And so- off come the locks. I double back and I open the door. Ah! And in front of me on the mat was my pair of orange covered shoes <laughs> that I didn't want to come in the room with. <laughs> and I was swinging and I went, fuck. <laughs> you know, right back to, you know, you think you'd learn something. So you come back from Peru and you're still working at the record store. Well, we came back to Peru, but somebody, we, we were so well known as you know, ugly Americans yeah. that they had phoned Logan Airport. And yeah. And they had 50 U.S. Marshals Come on. waiting for us. Really? Yeah, because it was five of us. Yeah. And they were all ready. And yeah. we, they were doing strip searches and everything. Oh, they thought you were bringing <clears throat> shit back? Yeah. Yeah. And I almost did, because I did buy a guitar, and I was going to carve out 
Right. See, no one will know. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, I figured it out. No. This is where you put the blow. The world's most stupid criminal. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going, I can put it in there. Because I met two gangsters when I was down there. Yeah. In an alleyway at, near a bar. Yeah. And he's like, you know, hey, you know, no paranoia, mi amigo. You know, and he's got like bullet wounds healed yeah. on his chest. Yeah. And I'm not scared of him because yeah. he gives me some blow. Yeah. Hey, you know, and he yeah, goes. Yeah, my buddy. Me amo Carlos, uh, you know, and he's Larrabee. Mm -hmm. And the name struck me so funny because it sounded like two names from the old Jack Benny radio show <laughs> yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I started doing the routine to them and I went, Oh, Carlos, <laughs> oh, Larrabee, you know, and they started doing it and cracking up laughing. Oh, Carlos, oh, Larrabee. And they didn't know that they were imitating an American comedic <laughs> icon. Right. But it didn't matter because yeah. what's funny is funny. Yeah. And that proved it right then and there to me. Yeah. If something is funny, uh, they picked up right on it and I was going to bring some back yeah. that they had given me. Right. And, you know, <clears throat> so the strip search at Logan Airport and everything. And I came home in a daze. This was 1983. Yeah. I was still at, I pretty much was new still at BCN. So you're already a character on the radio. Um People knew who I was. I didn't get much credit. You know, they didn't didn't want to say my name a lot. But when did that start? So when did you make the jump from uh, from the from the guitar shop to BCN? How'd that happen? I had already was a winner of one of their contests when I lived like outside of Boston with my mom. Yeah, which those were frequent. What kind of recidivism contest? visits? You know, yeah. a, <laughs> to my uh, mom. A comedy co a contest or a no? It, well, the, on the radio. One morning, and you might know this guy, Eddie Gordetsky. Yeah. He was one of my first friends there. And we're talking 32 Where? years ago at, at BCN. Eddie was at BCN? Oh, yeah. He was the comedy guy. You know, he used to take that blank piece of paper and get on the typewriter. Next thing you know, we he's had... like He's like a part of everything. He came over here with Elvis Costello when they came over. He oh, knows everybody. Doesn't and he? And he's like, I used to every say, show. I used to say, Eddie, when they finally like send something up to Mars yeah. and, and you might be like the first guy to go because you're so cool, you're going to get out and they're going to know who you are. And he's got this- Eddie. Yeah. Look, Eddie. <laughs> well, he knows Dylan and he knows he's got all those great 78s. Yes. He's a huge record collector, but he's also, he was there at the beginning of the comedy channel. That's and then, right. And, and then, I worked for him. You did at BCM. I, I was the announcer- for the um, comedy channel. This was uh, after I left BCN. Well, let's get there. So I didn't realize this. So now it's all coming together. Eddie Gordeski. I sobered up is what happened. After so I the moved Peru to New York. Uh-huh. But I knew Eddie from Boston, but he was writing for Saturday Night Live and Letterman. and. Okay. So wait. So you you, you, you win the contest. You're at your mother's. Mm -hmm. Eddie Gordetsky is, is doing the bits of BCN. So they knew you because of this concert. What co contest? What kind of contest was it? Um, I remember um, my friend called me up and yeah. said, hey- WBCN's looking for a guy who can sound like Mel Blanc. Yeah. And you win or something. Yeah. And uh, he said, call him up. So at his... But you hadn't been doing voices in any real way. Just fooling around yeah. myself or right. on stage, you know, if you broke a string in those days or you, your amp blew yeah. up, you had to sit there like yeah. a fried egg and yeah. try to figure out what you're going to do to entertain so, people. And you would do what? Bugs Bunny or what? I would just launch into stuff. Yeah. Like what was your favorite go-to? Um... um and there's a final word. Mwah! <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Or anything. Yeah, you know? yeah. So, all right. So Whoa, blow me down. You know. Yeah. Oh, olive oil, olive oil. 
I used to be able to do it better. My mouth is like a buzz uh, this morning. What, uh, Popeye? Yoo-hoo, olive oil. <laughs> I bring you some flowers. <laughs> <laughs> there. I redeem myself in the eyes of voice purists. All right, so you win this contest or whatever, but that, because you were like... You get when did they put you onto the morning crew? Because there's something about radio at that time. So this well, is what eighty what? When I won, and then I knew to sign off with that's all for folks. You know, yeah. and it's like we got a live one. Yeah. So they invited me to come up to the Prue mm-hmm. where they were broadcasting right. from Prudential Building, the Prudential Building, and uh, so I go up there, and everybody's super cool, like too cool to talk to me. Yeah. But I won. Yeah. And, and they said, what did, well, what did you win? Was it Lockerdera show? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And But when Eddie picked me off the listener line, when I called in, he went, hold on. And that was the beginning of that whole thing. Eddie. Yeah. Yeah. Eddie and Charles and uh, Oedipus. Yeah. Yeah. So you're there. So now you got a job? You're I have a morning? job, but I was getting increasingly out of control. But you but you were doing the morning show. So yes, you're getting I was. A, so that's six o'clock. Yes. And you're just, uh, you know... I'm just getting in the, from the night before at 4.15. Right. But you're, are you, but everybody was doing that, right? How, though? How did we do I those I don't things? know, but you're at BCN, so I imagine you're going to concerts, you're hanging out with whoever's in town. I'd always got... be obliterated. I couldn't tell you what happened after 7 o'clock at night most of the times. Really? For a majority of my adult life at the time. And you were showing up, and what were the voices you were doing for Charles? Oh, God, I'd have to pick something. Yeah. And I would mimic, like, types. Yeah. You know, like uh, wobbly wizards and, you know, demonic creatures. And you or just make them up spontaneously? Accents, yeah. What was your favorite one? I don't know. It's just something funny about an Indian guy calling someone else, you're hammerhead. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm using stooge, like, uh, ad hominems yeah. <laughs> for people standing right next to me. Yeah. You are a hammerhead. You'd be the so you'd be the weird, crazy, sweaty, fucked up guy. Char- Charles, <laughs> you're not be, gonna let go of that, are you? Well, well, no. Charles would be driving the show. I'm just trying to see what yeah, the crew would be driving like. the bus. And then how many people would be in the room? Would be next to me, and he would have bits, written words, yeah, bits, yeah, wrap ups to uh, contestants like you know you win. So you weren't that much. You weren't live on the mic all the time. No, uh-huh. but I was voicing my own stuff. And we right. Didn't, we didn't have any actors. You know. Yeah, yeah. No, I was like I had to learn. You so know. it was a fluke. You got into this. Yeah, but you know what? I acted like like I could care less. Yeah. About being there because I couldn't wait to get out and get high, you know, take care of my ossification. But you're, st- you're starting to make money though, right? <laughs> A little bit, but it was there was a low, low ceiling there. And, you know, I knew why I didn't. Because how could they how could they? They would point up, you know, number one, you're you're like an insurance liability. Yeah. You know, for starters. Yeah. And mm-hmm. um you know, it was um it was all that kind of stuff. But I sobered up in eighty five and what happened to make you sober up? Um I had flipped a car on the Massachusetts turnpike. You know, east and west, and there's yeah. a guardrail in yeah. the middle. I was coming home towards Boston, and I fell asleep doing about 90 miles an hour. Yeah. And next thing you know, what woke me up was the sound of the guardrail lifting me over it, and the car was upside down and landed on the fast lane of the westbound right. uh, mass turnpike. And I was like, I, I didn't know what to do, and I, I could feel the engine, like I could smell it. Yeah. Probably going to blow up. Right. 
So, um, so I'm standing in there. I'm trying to figure out what to do. Yeah. It, and as soon as I realized what happened, I just didn't take it that seriously. You know what I mean? Like you didn't care. Like invulnerable. Yeah. Kind of magical thinking. Yeah. Hey, what's meant to happen is meant to happen. You weren't hurt. I wasn't. I had probably a little bit of, you know, uh, joint problem in yeah. my my heel. Yeah. That was about it. And you were shit faced. Yep. And a mass statey. Yeah. State patrol. Yeah. Trooper pulls up. It's like late, late at night, and he comes over and he gets me out of that window that is now you know laying on the ground, and uh, he said, "Before I arrest you." I just want you to know that I've been working this shit for 12 years, and every time we come out there, we um, we come with shovels and plastic bags yeah. to scrape the blood pudding that's left of you into them. He says, you're one lucky bastard. And I was just, yeah? yeah. You know, like, and he wanted to beat the crap out of me, so I spent the night in the station. Somehow I, I was let go home, but what happened was I never showed up to court over that yeah and a year later they recontacted because i was non-payment of rent and yeah. the judge had my record earlier and he goes wait a minute aren't you supposed to be uh you're going to jail for this uh non-payment of rent i don't care about this uh you know accident yeah yeah and um so they put me in charles street jail which is a pissy smelly 300 year old bastille yeah. which is now luxury condominiums yeah, of course but on a warm boston night you can still smell 300 year old piss yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah you know how long were you in jail for um probably close to two weeks i think yeah and i i just figured it out right then and there i'm a quick study yeah yeah it takes me the hard way to learn everything, but I figured it out. I said, you know, because you have to go, how did I get here? Yeah. And I can't go anywhere. And I've got people bugging me for anything I have in my hand. If you have a comb in your hand, gone. Yeah. You read the sports page, gone. You know, anything you had was somebody hey, else's. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I realized scared? it. I leaned into it. No, I wasn't scared because I was in a daze. Yeah. You know, like, like you just got hit in the head and yeah. you're waking up. Right. So um, so I get out of there and I come back and, and people saw this guy who the devil had been cast out or purged totally from me. You were just like this crazy man. Yeah. And alcohol. Well, being Irish, I know that it's there's way more to it than alcohol and being an alcoholic. Yeah. It, it is a alcoholic yeah. experience. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's the drug of Irish poets. Yeah. You know, Madam Bottle, that was your muse. Yeah. Um, because like you were infamous by the time I got there, and and you were already sober, but mm -hmm. like you were this uh, this known wild man. Yeah, but you don't remember most of it. No, my legend loomed large, but I didn't know what it was about. But you were like this voice guy. You were, were the voice guy. Yes. Yeah. But I happened to be good. Yeah. Even in a blackout. Yeah. I would do stuff. Yeah. And I I wouldn't even remember doing it. Yeah. Yeah. It was like the talent part just totally took over yeah and overrode the whatever part of the brain makes you act like a shit fuck yeah you know <laughs> yeah so when you got sober what'd you do um i wanted to take an assessment of myself and figure out where i am in relation to the business and the world and everything and um a guy named howard stern was starting to make noise out of washington dc yeah then he was syndicated in 
Philly and New York. And you'd only been at BCN doing those bits. Yeah, since I was there from 81 to 89. So, yeah, I was working on um, the Howard Stern show when I moved to New York. How'd you get that gig? It was our sister station. Right. And I went there to work in production. And this is before Stern is Stern. Um, He was starting to make a big noise. Yeah. Yeah, real quick. I mean, he would say, no, what are you talking about, man? It took me forever. And, uh, you know, he was pretty cool. Like, when I first met him, he'd be like, you know, whatever you, you know, I know you're new in town. If you need to get acclimated, I'll help you out and all that. In New York or yeah. D.C.? Yeah, when I would Where'd meet him, go? they were just getting off the air. Yeah. And I was coming in. But it was in New York? In New York City on so fi- you, West you, 57th. Yeah. Yeah. You were coming into it from... To East do, 57th or something. And you were doing the next show? What do you mean? You were um, getting off no, your... I would go in and do production. Okay. Station business. Right. You know, like... Uh, and, and, you know, because I had a head full of big, dumb announcers. Yeah. And if you wanted to be a pro, you had to sound like these big, dumb announcers who loved far and away above everything else in the universe, the sound of their own balls vibrating and carrying them on a wheelbarrow. Yeah. You know, coming to the Worcester Centrum. Yeah. And they would, like, <laughs> yeah. add that hamburger helper. Yeah. You know, it's 1115 uh, <laughs> right here. <laughs> a lot of them were still doing that. Yeah. And it was like Madison Ave was filled with these big, dumb dinosaurs that were about to go extinct. Yeah. And then the breed came along. They were raptor-like. They were more facile. They were quicker. They were more versatile. Um, enter little dumb announcer yeah. like me yeah. and, I, and the guys that I came up with. Yeah. What but, was that sound? Um, you know, it was just like, let's try to stay away from that. Because by then, people knew that if you were talking on the radio, someone's lying to you. Yeah. They they put that together. Yeah. By then, in the yeah. 80s. Yeah. You know, I just started doing commercials, and I would put my own spin. I made off-the-nose choices for everything. Yeah. And um, then I got this job. Um, you know, I was auditioning for everything, and I was sneaking in and out of work. What was your relationship with Stern? Were you ever- oh, I used to be on the show like three days a week. Yeah, and you'd be in the room with him. Um, I'd be in the room. Yeah. You know, and he would just, uh, something would come up in the news. Yeah. And he would have he heard me ruminating before the show. Yeah. Like, uh, what was that thing you were doing? Yeah. You know, yeah. like the first time he called me, I was at home. Because the day before, he was getting off the air and he's eating his baked potato. And I came in and Lucy was like at the Cedars-Sinai. You know, it was almost... Uh, Good night, funny lady. Yeah. And they were showing the bonbon clips on TV and yeah. the grape stomping. Yeah. I said, oh, you know, poor Lucy. Yeah. So I come in and I started doing the no estrogen Lucy for Stern. Yeah. And I was like, why are you people bothering me? <laughs> he says, he shit starts coming out of his nose, potato and yeah. snot. And, yeah. Yeah, he's choking. Yeah. I lived a very long and prosperous life. You know, instead of, oh, Ricky, it was, yeah. oh, Ricky. <laughs> so so he was doing that, and he goes, I'm going to call you tomorrow morning, man. Let me. I'm going to have Gary call you tomorrow morning, and you do that. Just do that. <laughs> so we get there, and the first call was like a, is this the uh, Cedars-Sinai? Yes, it is. You know, I was just like ad-libbing right. yeah, instead sure. of searching for words. Yeah. Yes, it is. Uh, we want to talk to Lucy. Is Lucy a ball there? So it turned into, uh, hey, Robin, we're going to call Lucy. You know, and it sounded very real as if it were happening sure. in the here, here. Hello? Lucy, 
Yes. You know, and, it, yeah. it, and you have to hear the entire bit. It was so dark, but it was like irresistibly funny. Yeah, no, live radio and doing that stuff where you have just a, it's like, it's all theater of the mind shit. It's so, Lucy, your parents, you're saying your parents, when we read that when you were a little girl, they used to chain you to the clothesline and put a dog harness around here. And Lucy would say, you say it like it's a bad thing. <laughs> and and Stern was like, he, Love it. he was just wanted to play, play to the very bitter end. Yeah. And boy, oh boy, the next morning, this gossip columnist, this biddy named Kay Gardella in the yeah. Daily News is going, I heard the most horrifying thing on the radio. And it was like, shame on you, Stern. Yeah. You know. And, and he was like, he loved it. And he loved it. Yeah. He loved it. And I would... Characters would evolve because yeah. I would do those Boston women yeah. that were screaming about busing and yeah. get off our beach. <laughs> this is Carson Beach. It was always a nice white beach. <laughs> get off. It wasn't meant for use. <laughs> this is City Point. The bus comes from white neighborhoods to come to a white beach. Get out. <laughs> you know, I, I grew up here and all this stuff. You know, and, and then a black guy would call in and he'd go, I know that's Billy West. I know that's Billy West. Oh, my God, Howard, you bad. You know, so most people understood that it was pointing up the grotesqueness of racism. Yeah. Yeah. How long were you with Stern? Um, for a few years, I left in 95. Um, to come so out I, here? So I got to, yes. So I got to do a lot of stuff, but I auditioned for Ren and Stimpy. Yeah. And I worked with John Kay when he was doing Beanie and Cecil, which lasted six episodes, and I was playing Cecil, the sea, sea serpent. Yeah. John Kay created Ren and Stimpy. And um, this is also where I met my today partner in creativity is Jim Gomez. Yeah. And we have a podcast. Do you mind if I talk about it? Sure. While we're... Yeah. I'm all over the map, man. It's all right, buddy. I'm sorry. That's all right. I, I, have, I found out I had ADHD. Yeah. Like about a year ago. Uh-huh. I couldn't wait to tell my friends. I was like, hey, guess what? I got that stupid ADHD. And this guy looks at me and he goes, you paid someone to tell you that? <laughs> we knew. Yeah. yeah. Oh, everybody knew. But um, but anyway, um, we thought it would be a funny idea to just to create something. Yeah. Just for fun. I mean, just for the fun the of it. The podcast. Yes. And it's billywestpodcast.com. And there's barely time for me on my own show. Uh, because there's all these disruptions and um, distractions, people coming in, um, you know, yeah. arrest warrants or somebody right. calling on the phone or whatever, but it's me. Yeah, of course. Yes. But I also bring in um, my voiceover friends, not to interview them. Yeah. You know, because- Let them, do, let them work. That would be more of the same. Like, yeah. you know, it's like, okay, that's my interview and I didn't have to put anything into it. Right. So I uh, created content, and I wanted these guys to play people from my real life. Yeah. And I have just priceless performances from my very own friends that inspire me to this day. Like, and it's all produced. You guys spend time yeah, with Yeah, we have to. Yeah. And, and the problem with that is that people want, you know, to keep them coming. Every it, week. And it's difficult. Yeah. Yeah, to produce it. Yeah. I mean, I can talk, but I'll hang myself if I'm allowed to be me and talk. Yeah. Yeah. So you're better off doing bits. It's better off creating characters. Yeah. And, um, you know, we created a character named Billy Bastard. I don't know who I named that after, but the way I was in oh, really? the old days. Yeah. Yeah. What's and, that guy And he sound sounds like? like Buddy Rich. You ever hear those sure, Buddy sure. Rich bus You guys tapes? are blowing clams. You guys are playing clams for me up here. <laughs> well, I wrote the chart to um, All Take Manhattan. 
where you could take Manhattan and get the fuck off this bus right now, tonight. <laughs> and it's sort of like that. Yeah. And he's Billy Bastard. But do, do you remember? Do, do you remember that guy, Billy Bastard? I mean, oh, do you, sure it, I do. Were you a yeller? I would scream and yell, and I and I had like the lung capacity and certainly the vocal. Yeah, yeah. I can't say my gentleness belied my great strength. I think it was just you know demon power. Yeah, yes. I mean that's like saying nothing. I have the blood sugar of eighty-one seagulls. Yeah, don't mess with me. Yeah, that's the guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, and I would say shit like that. Yeah, yeah. Just because I was I, the silliness was always there. So do you, when you did Ren and Stimpy. That was the that was your big break. I mean, that was that yeah. was this weird kind of rebirth of animation for a new generation of young people. It yes. was on MTV, right? MTV, and it was huge. Yes, and originally I auditioned for both voices. Yeah, that's what uh, John Chris Felusi wanted, and uh, we actually went to MTV to do a live pitch yeah. in front of the women at Nickelodeon, and. Uh, we recorded. This is right out of the movies, like right. out of the Stooges, out of yeah. the '30s. Yeah, there's a broom, and we get a little mic on it, and we're in a closet up the street from Kurt Loder's yeah. office. Right, and uh, and we're in there, and I'm reading the script as both voices. He goes in, he comes out a half hour later, and he says, "Congratulations, what you just did sold the show." Who said like, that? Uh, John Chris Lucy. Yeah. And I said, "Wow, you know." So they get the show in production. They sold the show, and. And he, John decided that he was going to do the voice of Ren. Yeah. And I didn't give a fat frog's ass who did what. I was lucky to have a job. Yeah. You know, I was thrilled to death. So I did Stimpy originally, who was based on Larry from the Three Stooges. Yeah. Except you couldn't make him sound like a depressed old Jewish guy. Yeah. You know, hey, Mo, mine hernia. <laughs> I don't know how big of a Stooge guy you are, but Larry is the most subl sublime peripheral voice I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> Be careful, Mo. <laughs> You know, yeah. Hey, Mo, you took my money, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. Then it's Shep. He's come back to haunt us. <laughs> you know, it was priceless. The little that he said, I'd be like, you know, because I watched the Stooges, um, every little frame, everything, and and it was like somebody trying to get more out of the lobster long after it's done, like yeah. sucking the legs and <laughs> looking yeah. for green shit. You know, yeah, maybe yeah. that's edible. And I began to watch the corners of the pictures instead of the obvious focal points and the gags. Yeah. And Larry was always making faces and, oh, no. You know, yeah, yeah. chewing up scenery. Yeah. You know, and... Do you uh, like that? Oh, I loved that, but I fell in love with this voice that I didn't care about, you yeah. know. I mean, I didn't early on care about it. Everybody sure. knew Mo and everybody could curly. do, could do Curly. Yeah. And, you know, they could do the voices. But nobody gave a damn about Larry. So John Chris Felusi heard that. Um, earlier on when we were recording Beanie and Cecil and I was doing Larry and he he said uh, you know that Larry Fine voices you did Stooges yeah so I want you to do that for Stimpy and what happened was y you can't have him sound like Larry because it's not a spark that, right. that really adhered to a cartoon character that right. had to adhere to a cartoon universe um, so he sped him up you know, and then it became like a sped up Larry, like, yeah. you know, hey, Ren, will you button me? You know, and Ren would be like, you shut up, you fool. Yes, I shall kill you. <laughs> um, and John got fired after the first season. And I wasn't his partner. I wasn't like his creative partner or yeah. anything. I was a hired gun. Yeah. And uh, they 
they came and auditioned. They came back to me and, and they thought, hey, wasn't he supposed to do it in the first place? So I re-auditioned and uh, I did both parts. You know, I had nothing to do with their battle. Right. Nothing. With you the, know, and he in, called me and he said, you, you know, I said, I'm sorry that, you know, you got dumped. Yeah. And he's like, well, you don't have to do the show. And I'm like, uh, I don't think it works like that, you know, because yeah. he was offering nothing. And plus, he just wanted you to do his bidding because he got fucked. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And he was trying to use me as a weapon against them. Like, you know, yeah. if you quit, they'll never be able to do the show without you. Yeah. You know, so then I can, my bargaining chip would be him. Yeah. You know, but you're not going to use me. Right, you got nothing to gain from that, and you'd probably be the one that takes the hit. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. So You, you, know, did, you know what it is? is yeah. um, I had all these bad things happen to me, Yeah. but when I grew up, I realized, you know what? I never went to asshole school. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't know sometimes what anybody's talking yeah, you were, about. You were uh, 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 an impulsive asshole, not uh, a political asshole. Or, uh, or like a, your business or asshole. Or one machination asshole, right. like... Uh, you know, I'll play this one against this one, and then right, I'll, right. I'll yeah, lie. Yeah. yeah, calculating. Yeah, yeah, nothing like that. I was, I was innocent of it. Yeah, and um, so you took the gig. So I just took the gig. Yeah, and you did both voices for all those for seasons. Three seasons after that. Yeah, and it was a lot of screaming and yelling. It was great, and I did those incidental voices like the announcer. Yeah, you know, how long can Stippy hold out? Can he hold out? Will he press the button that will erase his very existence? You know, and I would put the emphasis on wrong words. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> in the next Target Adventure. <laughs> that you was know, your device. Yeah, but I got it from Colonel Bleep. Did you ever see Colonel Bleep when no. you were a kid? Oh, see, I grew up in the 50s. Yeah. Um, Colonel Bleep was this alien who was like a, an astronaut or a commander, and he had a caveman with him and a puppet. And it was animated, really early, primitive. And uh, the announcer on the show... I was at this fever pitch all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like, I, how does this guy not pass out? Yeah. Because <laughs> he's always up here. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. And uh, you know, all that stuff kind of works in. And all of it goes in your percolator. Yeah. And whatever you spit out is is not like you clip something from somebody. It's a, it's a hybrid yeah. of what you're in for. Well, yeah, and you're for. also integrating because you grew up like, you, you know, you brought up Bilko and you, I mean, that stuff and Jack Benny, I mean, that stuff was stuff that you saw as a kid. Yes, and I was really influenced by that, but when I saw cartoons for the first time and I was able to read, I looked at the credits Yeah, and I'd, I'd just have heard 10 voices or so and I'd see two names in the credits. But like what, the Tex Avery stuff or what? All of it. Yeah. Yeah, Mel Blanc, one voice. Yeah. And he was the first guy, I guess, that got credited yeah. on the title cards. Did you ever meet him? Yes, I did. Yeah. In 1980. Yeah? Yeah. He... Did you guys uh, do dual voices? No, he got mad at me. Oh, he did? Yeah, I was Why? yelled at by Mel Blanc. Why? No, I, I didn't get yelled How'd at. How'd that sound? <laughs> we were in Clark University in yeah. Worcester, Mass. It's an old- I know that's cool, yeah. Old wooden hall. Yeah. I don't know about now. But here comes Mel Blanc. I just happened to find out. Was it about some it. sort of a conference or panel or, uh, or? Oh, you mean you went to see him? Went to see him, and it was a voice and slideshow. Yeah, you know, he, he was giving slides, a lecture, and he eventually showed a cartoon. Yeah, but he there he was, the guy, you know, and who's he? He was Bugs. He was uh, Elmer Fudd. Who was he? He was everybody. Barney Rubble. 
he was uh, Pepe Le Pew, Tweety Bird, Sylvester the Cat. Yeah. Yeah, and he wasn't just a collection of witty little voices. Right. He could really act his ass off on every one of those characters. Yeah. Like they were separate entities. Yeah. Which is what you're, you're, you're supposed to aim for. Right. Um, and so you go see him. And I, and he's all done. And I said, oh, man, there he goes. He's going to be... And he goes, if anybody wants autographs, can you make a line over here? That's what he sort of really sounded yeah, like. Yeah, yeah. And so um, I get up, and I'm body slamming little kids and checking them into the boards and all this and that. And he looks up, and he goes, could you let the little kids go first? <laughs> you know, and when I met him, it was like it was like that. Is it a painting? I guess it is. Yeah, yeah. Where, where man is reaching up. Yeah, pointing yeah. his finger, and then there's God, the Michelangelo, with his chapel, with just... his index finger. Oh yeah, yeah. And yeah. this earthbound dude is trying to get some of that right. DNA. Yeah, that's what it was like meeting him. Yeah. Oh, well, when, what was it like to like when you got the opportunity to play characters that were established by Mel Blanc? Um, I did Space Jam. Yeah. And I got to work with Michael Jordan too, Doc. The yeah. closest thing to a religious figure that we have. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and I got paid in carrots. <laughs> you know, I was I was just doing it to be faithful. Yeah. But see, everybody has their own perception of what faithful is. They might be thinking about one decade or another decade because the directors were different. Yeah. You know, and one person would lean in. Ivan Reitman was directing me. And somebody over at Warner Brothers would lean in the door and go, he sounds too Jewish. Okay, thank you for that update. You know? Yeah, yeah. And then somebody else would poke in and he goes, he's not tough enough. he got to be more Brooklyn. Okay. With bugs uh, or with anybody? They were doing what they thought he was. Like, everybody had a different perception, it seemed like to me. Of bugs. And I was trying to please Ivan Reitman. Right. That's the only name that mattered to me. Um, so I was doing it that way and, you know, it wasn't everybody's cup of tea. There's people that are stuck on a certain kind of bugs or, you know... He should have been the one that was really irreverent, like, you know, eating a carrot, like, <coughs> hey, Scrooey. Yeah. You know, that kind of, yeah, yeah. what you doing, Scrooey? <laughs> and I, you know, it sounded like Maury Amsterdam. Yeah, a little bit. Hey, Rob, here's the comedy spot. <laughs> so so I had moved to California from New York, got out of the Stern show. Yeah. And I got out here and everybody knew who I was. Right. It was like an electronic business card. From Red and Stimpy. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and, oh, and before I left New York, I had been doing the Red M&M yeah. that I get cast for. <laughs> On the commercial? Part of the American landscape. Yeah. What was yeah. that guy sound like? Have you ever eaten me? <laughs> you know, it's basically like my wise-ass voice. Yeah. <laughs> Yellow. <laughs> you know, and the commercials are great. Yeah, yeah. They're very artistic and yeah. funny, I think. And I've heard from a lot of people. And it plays every day in some theater yeah. somewhere. And it's like, we're sick of you, man. But the commercials on TV are good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sick of me. Yeah. Yeah, so... so did I, you do a I, lot of commercials? Yeah, when I moved to L.A., I did tons of them. And, and what, was the, what was the next big, uh, for you, the, the big uh, event in your life, um, career-wise? In 1999... Matt Groening was going to do a new cartoon yeah. outside The Simpsons. Yeah. So he created this show called Futurama. Yeah. And that's all I knew about it. Yeah. And he said they're doing auditions, so I get some sides as uh, Philip J. Fry. Right. Zoidberg and The Professor and, um, and Bender the Robot. Yeah. So I went in and I just did instinctively. People go, how do you know what to do? I said, they give you enough information about the character so that you can formulate 
you know, what it should be. Yeah. And you just throw shit against the wall and hopefully one of them will be dead on, on the bullseye and they'll go, that's what we're looking for. Yeah. So uh, I did something I never did before. I, was, I sort of used my own voice yeah. for that. Yeah. Yeah, only when I was 25 and I was whiny and complainy and, you know. For which character? Oh, man, I just broke a string for Fry. Yeah. Oh, man, I just broke a string. Now what am I going to do? You know, that's yeah. exactly what I sounded like. I was like, oh, man, we don't have any tubes. The amp just blew up. Now what the fuck am I going to do? <laughs> you know, <laughs> Yeah. And um, and so I just injected that in there. And I did um, Zap Brannigan, which Phil Hartman was supposed to do. And I met Phil Hartman when I first moved out here. Yeah. But in New York, he called looking for me before I left. And my wife, I called in coming from New York. And she said, guess who called here looking for you? I said, Who? So Phil Hartman, I said, do you know how many guys I know that could pull an elaborate prank like that on yeah. you? And she goes, no, it was him, and he left his number. He wanted to say hi. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, we'll see. And he was on the set of news radio. Yeah. I call him back, and it's him, and he goes, no, I just wanted to just say hi. I'm a fan of your work. And I was like, well, I kind of know who you are, too, you know? And um, I eventually met him. Yeah. And, and he was eager to help me get acclimated. And yeah. He was the most generous of spirit. Yeah. person he had no like was coveting anybody else's talent or right. performance right no he was secure and he yeah. knew who and what he was yeah and so we found out we had that big dumb announcer love yeah you know because yeah. he had done them yeah and we talked about those guys and we found out you know it's like oh you remember a guy named alex dreyer <laughs> you know <laughs> We're pulling out names. Jackson Beck. You know, a few of them sounded a little the same. Yeah. And then there was, um, you know, the old-fashioned guys that would come on the radio and say, I have to update the info because I don't remember any old commercials, but today's program is brought to you by Bluetooth. Now brain cancer comes in a new color. Blue. Bluetooth. <laughs> you know, and who talks like that? Only those guys. But when they when you did see it in person or yeah. something, they stuck with the act. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, because it gave them, you know, people would That's go, who they were. Wow, look at that. Well, that's the weird thing about radio is that, it, you know, when you do see the radio guy, you're like, you're the guy? Yeah. That probably still happens to you. Like, you're the guy. Yeah, this little nebbish. <laughs> I'll tell you a story. One time I auditioned for a character from Dinosaurs, the mm -hmm. movie. Yeah. And they were going to do the home game, and they couldn't find anybody to do Della Reese's character. Yeah. And they they searched high and low. They had black actresses come in. Um, you know, anybody with like a, a masculinized female voice. Right. And they weren't finding it. So the guy at Disney calls my agent and says, do you think Billy could just come in and maybe just... And I go in and I, I nail it. You know, because she had this big voice, <laughs> Baleen Honey, you know, and she was a holy roller, too, so she had that religious, you know, hellfire rolling yeah, yeah. around in her voice. Um, and so I'm in there, people are, like, looking, like, to see who the hell it is. We got somebody, and they see this white guy sitting there. <laughs> um, but, you know, I was up for trying out anything. Yeah. Anything you, you threw at me. What's the worst that can happen? Um, they don't use it. But on Futurama, Zap was going to be done by Phil, but, you know, he died. Yeah. Um, and it was such a shock. It was horrifying. Um, Horrible way. But then they started thinking about the character again, and they said, do you want to try it? And I said, well, I have my own version of Big Dumb Announcers that sounds similar to what Phil would call upon. And, you know, I really wasn't trying to mimic him because I had to create a new character. Yeah. 
So I based him on a, a few disc jockeys that I grew up working with or listened to. And one of them had this voice like this. And he used to use big words like serendipity. Yeah. You know, serendipity. <laughs> and they used the hamburger helper, you know, yeah. with that, um, you know. Well, it's seven past five in the morning. Yeah. Good morning, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I that just, that's the hook. Yeah. That's yeah. So I put that in the character. Yeah. Careful, let them in. I made it with a woman. You know, that kind of crap. Yeah, yeah. She's a beautiful ship. I'm going to fly her brains out. That was it. it. It puts this button on it that makes him more important than anybody. Like, that's the last word. Yeah. No one can top that. Right. It was beautiful, but it came from something real. Now, when you do that, because, like, you, you know, I've done a, just very little voiceover, and it's not much different than me. It's just different pitches of me. But it's interesting when you're on a mic and you've got your cans on. Mm-hmm. Because you know, I'm I'm also an addict. You know that there is a, a complete departure of self that happens. Yes. Right. Yes. And you can feel it, like you know, it's, it's the only sudden... thing I know how to do. Right. Except play music. But but when you're in it, when you're in those words, and you're 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 just completely all your momentum is into whatever those choices you made. You're completely departed from yourself. Yes. You're it's out of body experience in yes. a way. There's this idea that you you know that we came up with earlier. Uh, about you know having to i imagine when you got sober uh, i don't know if you got sober the way we get sober but the idea of having a higher power that will function for you this idea of 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 these forces or that these things these energies that come and go mm -hmm. and that everything's sort of integrated it seems like that you, the manifestations of all these different voices are, are part of a continuum of of time and place and people and frequencies that you've absorbed over time well the stakes are higher with those things because I wasn't left to run wild. This was a character that was worked on for probably a few years. Which one? All of them on yeah. Futurama. Yeah. And and to get to the point where they chose you to interpret their work, yeah. I have to have nothing but respect for the artist's intentions. Yeah. They're all artists. All artists, musicians, everybody are my bros. You yeah. know something? My heroes were never fucking celebrities. Yeah. Still. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, my heroes were composers yeah and da vinci's and yeah you know architects right. sure you know people yeah. who did something real important yeah pulled it out of the thin air yeah i never worshiped celebrity i didn't give a damn about it you know all i knew is that i want i was bursting to bring something to the table yeah that's all i cared about yeah. i didn't know you could make money or be famous i just said you know what i i i think in all my cockiness early on i said i think if they put me in something I'll find a way to make it better yeah. than it was. Yeah. And uh, I lived kind of by that, but I took the responsibility real carefully. So you had to create a character. You had to craft it the same way they did to arrive at this character. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like there's no vigilante. There's no uh, right. lone ranger in this process. And it's there's committee. no sloughing it off. No. Yeah. No. And uh, so in other words, you say you see this thing happening in front of you. It's like because they're real to me. I took them very seriously. Yeah. Yeah. And it's paid off. Yeah. It's um, it's really special. It's like, you know, it's a hard feeling to describe. Every, mostly every day I walk in a room full of genius level performers. Yeah. And a lot of people don't even know who they are. But yeah. thanks to the internet that lately, or not lately, I'd say in the past 15, 16 years, People are starting to know who does what. Right. 
And that is the coolest thing in the world. Yeah. Because I do these comic book conventions. I'm going to Australia. Yeah. All these people knew me from Nicktoons. Yeah. And the little kids know me from something that I just did, like the 7D for Disney. Yeah. These are beautiful kids because they were me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that have this obsession with something that n mostly nobody else cares about except the people you're with. Right. It's, and, yeah, and I, real nerd stuff. I recognized the energy and I said, that was me. And I... Uh, I don't even know what that noise is. That's a dentist who left his door open. Yeah. He's it's working all, on Sundays. <laughs> on a very big mouth. <laughs> like Shemp. Yeah. <laughs> Do some more Larry. <laughs> Let's end on some Larry. Hey, Mo, I pissed on my shoe. Isn't there something just about that voice that makes you I go, love that you love it because I wouldn't have ever looked at it that way. But go back and watch it. I'm going to now. And the little that he says is it's like, a, you know, make some Keith Richard of the Stooges. <laughs> suddenly he's, suddenly he's a who Charlie now. He's a big important guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're all bells, all these women. Bell of the ball. <laughs> Anything you say. I think he lived the longest. Be careful, Mo. <laughs> He was he was in a nursing home in uh, Woodland Hills. Yeah, yeah. And I had a friend. One from of the Boston. guys from the Stooges, the yes. band, went to visit him. Yes, regularly. And he took a big beta machine, and made a beta tape of Larry sitting there. It's black and white. You've seen it. I have seen it. And Larry's sitting there, and they set up the interview, and he's like, "Okay," you know, because he had had like three strokes. Yeah. And there was a picture that he created that he drew of Mo behind him in an old firehouse short that they did. Yeah. Yeah, and he's like, you know, he was stroked out, but he still had his sense of humor. Yeah. And the guy says, what was, uh, what was Mo like? Well, you know, he was a very sweet man, and he picked me out of a vaudeville act, you know, because the Stooges were looking for one guy yeah. to fit in with the... the the crazy man and the boss man. Yeah. So he said, I was playing violin and did a stage act with the Haney sisters. Yeah. You know, we never heard of these yeah. people. Thank God he got out of there. Yeah. Mo just picked him. Yeah. And said, you're going to be a stooge. Yeah. And so there he was. And, uh, oh my God. It, it's like, you know what? People used to say, what are you getting out of this? Okay. We don't, we know you don't, you're not big on school. What are you getting? I didn't. I couldn't explain it, but here I was learning comedic timing, yep. comedic performance, yeah, and acting. Yeah, you know, where you act as a voiceover guy, I act on those words. Sure, of course. You know, and I was smart enough to. I went to Stella Adler while I was in New York on yeah. Stern, and uh, oh my God, I was cramming like a super college student. I remember reading um, Man and Superman almost overnight. Bernard Shaw. Bernard Shaw. Yeah, almost overnight, and I had to learn the prologue to Henry V overnight yeah yeah because i was too busy during the day running around new york how'd that go for you at the class um did you learn anything went to some stuff i could not do right by this particular teacher yeah because she said to me all right we're going to have you do examples of a covered entrance and i said I wonder what that is is it like to slip in and be invisible yeah in plain sight no it wasn't even that i never understood what it was no i i never could get it right right so, you know, and then I meet real actors and celebrities that are my friends, and I mentioned that, and they said, I never heard of that. 
You know, it's like when I worked at the Boston Naval. Yeah. I worked at the Boston Naval Shipyard when I was like seventeen, eighteen. Yeah. No, I was a little more than fifteen, and I was a carpenter's apprentice working in the the building shops that made stuff for wartime. And I was putting together a sawhorse, and this one guy comes in, one carpenter, he goes, "Hey, what are you throwing?" I said, "I'm pounding a nail." Who the fuck taught you how to pound a nail? You know, and so he shows me his way. Yeah. And I go, okay, okay. I'm not going to hit my thumb. I was doing okay. And then another schmo comes in. And he goes, you know, like, what the fuck are you doing? You know, same exact thing. He says, who taught you how to do that? You know, I, I said, this other, yeah. yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and he did it his way. Yeah. So I learned something that I knew when, when I inherently in my heart of hearts, I learned at 10 years old that adults were full of shit. <laughs> yeah, but everyone's got to be right. They got the way. Everybody's got to be right and random. Yep, yep, yep. I never thought of the adults like that. Yeah. But, oh, the, that's a but good I realized deep inside when I'm seeing hypocrisy and double standards and I'm going, I didn't use the phrase, but I just said, these people are full of shit, just like me. Yeah, yeah. And it's a, that's an important lesson to learn. It is, isn't it? Yep. It was great talking to you. Great talking to you, too. I, I uh, wanted to meet you for a long time. Yeah, I'm glad we did. Because I followed you from Boston doing yeah. your stage stuff. I came and saw you. Yeah. And um, and then Air America. Yep. yep. You were on there. And I, I tell people today when they use the word sheeple, I said, I know the man. Well, I don't know you. <laughs> but there's a guy that made that up and it I, just I, catches on. I wonder if it was me. It was you. I know I used it and I used... Uh, sheeple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that thing. But yeah. it's but it's like lemmings. Yep. Yep. I loved it. I love doing Air America. And I, I, that's, I'd never done radio before. And uh, I, I, I'm insecure about my skills on these mics, but I know that uh, my personality comes through. It doesn't matter. That's right. No, your wit. Yeah. Your skill is like undefined to everybody else until you define it. Yeah. It's a, I, I love these mics. Yeah. These are wow. You can put your whole mouth around the front of it. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> All right. Man. I turned into a jungle cat. Yeah, it was beautiful. All right, that was Billy West. Ooh, that was like a roller coaster ride of an interview. Um, so, yeah, we've got some more uh, WTF uncovered. Uncovered WTFs coming up. Be one up tomorrow. And what else? I can play some guitar. I don't want to hurt my ear though. I'm f- I'm getting old. Didn't quite come together as I'd hoped. Boomer lives!